Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. Good morning. My name is David, and I am a sexaholic. My co-leader is... Hi, my name is Amjad, and I'm a hopeless sexaholic. The topic we're sharing on is tools of recovery. Please turn off any electronics, and please do not record any of this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session is being streamed live on the Internet around the globe. In addition, it is also being recorded. The streaming and recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not want to be live streamed or recorded but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-streamed, non-recorded meeting. Please do not touch the recording equipment. When it's time to share, come up to the front and sit next to us over here on the left, lined up to use the microphone. We'd like to minimize the amount of time it takes for someone to come from their chair up to here. So if you're planning on sharing, just come up and please seat, sit yourself. Please leave the microphone on the table. Don't touch it because it makes noise on the recording, and they will pick you up and, and transmit your voice. Um, you're up. Okay. Right there. Uh, let us begin with a moment of silence for all, all those still suffering or unable to attend a meeting, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer? God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Okay, again, our topic is tools for recovery. We will share for about five to six minutes on this topic each uh, and how this applies in our lives. Oh, we were just told not to move it, so... Okay. Okay, thank you. Just don't touch the other one. Okay. Uh, so again, our topic is tools for recovery. We will share for five to six minutes about he- how each topic applies in our lives. Then we'll open up the meeting for all of you to share. You each have about, uh, we'll give probably about five minutes each or... No. Two or three. Two or three minutes. I know I was joking. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say 10. Uh, so we'll give you about two minutes each uh, to begin sharing before we uh, throw you out of the chair. I mean, uh, before we call for time. And so with that, we will start. And I will. Oh, David. My name is David. I am a sexaholic. My sobriety date is August 2nd, 1988, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. I was very pleased uh, to be asked to uh, share on tools of recovery because, uh, for me, it has been uh, the core of my relationship with uh, 12-step recovery and Sexaholics Anonymous in particular ever since I attended my first meeting on August 2nd, 1988. And one of the things that attracted me to 12-step recovery, and not 
necessarily initially. Initially, I came in for the same reason anybody comes in. The pain had gotten so great, I needed to do something different. Uh, the night before, my wife had told me she wanted me to move out and wanted a divorce, and she couldn't put up with the affairs anymore and all that usual things that qualify us for entry into this program. One of my uh, practical tools I offer to people is that we have very low standards for admission to this program, and you have to meet them all. <laughs> and I uh, more than qualified. And um, when I went to my first meeting, which happened to be all guys, um, there was um, a format, a format with probably most of you are familiar. We just read portions of it just now. There were readings, and I knew about the readings uh, because uh, I had had an AA big book for that time for about 15 years, and I would have told you that I knew what was in that book. That would have been a lie. Uh, nonetheless, um, I still have that book, which I was given uh, when I was in my professional training, and like, uh, it's one of the things they say about alcoholics. If you want to hide something from an alcoholic, put it in his big book. And, <laughs> and I, uh, I didn't know I was an addict. Uh, I thought I was just professionally interested in this subject. Anyway, um, I came in and sat in that meeting and, uh, not only as most of us had heard my story, but even, and even more importantly, heard my solution, uh, which I continue to practice to this day. And one of the things that has attracted me so strongly, in addition to the clarity, in addition to the format, in addition to uh, the success of the solution, um, has been the practicalness of it. And what I say to people, because it's my experience, is there's nothing in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book that isn't there because it, it's there because it works. There's nothing there that doesn't work. And, and the same with our white book. There's nothing in there, well, there's a little bit maybe, but uh, almost nothing in there that doesn't uh, just work. And the trick is I, I tell people um, that probably the most important thing you'll ever hear at a meeting is the very last thing you hear at the meeting. It works if you work it. And so uh, having practical working tools has been at the core. I realize I didn't start my timer. Um, that's good. He's going to hit me. Um, now it's going to give you a whole new. And I will. I will not. Oh, Jesus. It's okay. He's as bossy as I am. Um, I'm an addict. I um, tried to pick up those tools as quickly as possible and continue to do that to this day. One of the reasons I, I did my readings this morning. Um, I read the AA Grapevine frequently. I was reading it on the plane coming here, and uh, one of the stories made up, I guess it was one of the letters actually, made a point that the gentleman said his sponsor told him whenever he was struggling to go read the pages. And the pages are page 86, 87, and 88 in the AA Big Book. Uh, and it's just, that's a wonderful example of the specificity of the uh, Big Book. Um, it says, here's what you do at night. Here's what you do in the morning. Here's what you do during the day. Here's what will change, exactly what will change over time if you keep doing these things. And I did read them again this morning, as well as my regular reading. I was in one of the stories at the back. And it's just a reminder that if, if I just actually use the tools, uh, they'll work. If I don't use them, I've never had a tool work that I didn't use. That's That's been actually very reliable. Uh, the tools for recovery, there's so many that it's hard to um, 
list them, but a few I'd like to just dwell on before I uh, let go of my time here. One uh, is to show up. Um, I knew because of my professional training that 90 meetings in 90 days was recommended. And when I came in, uh, we only had six meetings a week in Nashville. So on the seventh day, which happened to be Sunday, uh, I would go to another fellowship and, and for which I still am benefiting from this day, uh, even though we started a Sunday meeting not too long after I began attending. And um, so show up for, for the meetings. Uh, another uh, tool that I use. Oh, and, and then my sponsor periodically gets to remind me, David, it's not only show up, it's show up on time. Roy actually does a good description of how important it is to show up on time. Uh, I would have to say every time I read that those pages, it's always fresh information. And um, and I sometimes uh, showing up on time is not my longest suit. And whenever I do do it, I benefit from it. I benefit from, uh, well, sometimes I get to chair the meeting. That's remarkable in its own right. Um, and to be there for the readings. And I tell people when I hear, this is a practical tool, I tell people when I hear the readings, and I know some people just are tired of the readings. Some people race through the readings. I'm well aware of all that. I feel like I'm sitting on the shores of the Gulf of Mexico with the warm water lapping over me on the white beach with the full sunshine under the blue sky. That's what happens every time I hear those readings. And also with the steps and traditions, um, I'm trying to stay a couple words ahead of them every time I hear them. Uh, so to be sure that I still have them memorized and still can use them. That's the most practical. That is our program of recovery, the steps. And the traditions are what keeps us from killing one another. The uh, other thing I do uh, every morning, I did it this morning. Um, occasionally, I don't do it in the morning, and then I do it later in the day. Occasionally, I'm having a tough day, and so I just do it again, is my daily contract for sobriety. Uh, it's in the yellow book, uh, Practical Tools for Sobriety. And um, and I do the contract. And it's I, this morning, I had the experience I've had many times. I do the contract. It's the same contract I've done for 30 years, or not quite. And um, it always makes me calmer. I always feel safe for the day that I'll be uh, okay going through it. Um, and then the last uh, tool I wanted to mention um, is that I really have discovered something that's not original with me at all that uh, the most important single recovery tool I have are those things attached to my ankles. Um, I have two of them. Not everybody has two. Some people only have one. Some people have wheels. Nonetheless, they all do the same thing. And that is, if I'm, I'm never going to win a battle with lust. That's what powerlessness means. And if I am battling with lust, I'm going to start doing things that really cause pain to myself and other people. That's what unmanageable means. And the only solution is to move the feet. Maybe it's to move it toward a phone. Maybe it's just to leave a room. Maybe it's to get out of bed. Uh, maybe it's to get on my knees. All of those things are fine. The important thing is to move the feet. And with that, I'll stop. You're up. Thanks, David. Again, I'm Amjad. I'm a hopeless sexaholic, miraculously sober, uh, Thanks to, the, thanks to this program, to God and you. And uh, so, you know, I'll just kind of uh, piggyback on that. I wanted to, before I got into the tools, I wanted to kind of talk about how, for me, just real quick, uh, the most important part of the tool process, which is 
that, you know, and this took, you know, I've been in the program for a while, but this took me a long, like several years to finally get, which is that, you know, when I am fixated and obsessed about what I am doing and all the tools and using the tools as a mechanism for me to control and manipulate my sobriety and recovery out of this program, like I just want to rest sobriety out of this program, you know, just rip it out of the hands of this program. Uh, and when I focus on the tools that way, what I'm really doing is, is relying on a human power, my own. And, uh, and so for me, it's really important to remember that it's not what I do, but it's, it's the attitude in with which I do it. And if I can do it with some willingness, some humility, uh, some open-mindedness, uh, some honesty, some gratitude and some courage, then, uh, you know, and, and put myself at God's feet and let him guide me through the process and let the, let him decide how and when the tools will work and what, what they'll do. Then when I do the work and do the, use the tools, they're, they're far more helpful for me. So I just want to start with that kind of, uh, disclaimer. Uh, so I, you know, I, I was starting to make a list of tools when we, when we got the topic and I, I realized it's just so long. We, we could be here all day talking about all the different tools in the program. So what I did is I just kind of picked out the ones for me that really jump out a lot and I put them into two categories. There's the, uh, early in, in sobriety, early, you know, early in the program, kind of, you know, really struggling, uh, sort of tools. And then there's the maintenance tools. And so for me, the, the struggling tools I put on here, uh, there was one time I was sitting with my sponsor at coffee and I was complaining about how, you know, how I just can't get past this lust. I just can't get past this lust. And he said, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they invented a button? That you could just press, and when you press the button, your your all your lust would go away. And I said, "Wow!" He said, "Would you buy one of those?" Or he said, "Are you kidding? I'd buy like a thousand of those and put them everywhere. It'd be in my car. It'd be you know everywhere you go." And uh, he said, "They did. It's the green button on your phone." And uh, you know, so that you know, he, he's basically his point was you know you can easily make a phone call. I brought one just in case you guys wanted to see it. That was easy. Uh, so if you're having trouble with lust, just come press the button. It'll it'll fix your issues. Uh, so that's phone calls is a big one for me. Uh, that what really hit me with the phone calls is in the white book on page sixty six. Uh, on the bottom, it, you know, it says that instead of fighting or indulging, we surrender. And I used to stop there and think, what the heck does that mean? And it tells me in the very next sentence, it says, we pick up the phone, we ask for help, we go to a meeting, and so. And then later it describes the different stages of surrender, but that first initial stage is pick up the phone, surrender to another human being, surrender to your, your ego to be able to be, you know, vulnerable and tell somebody what's going on. Uh, the other tool is my sponsor, I was really struggling, he said, throw on a rubber band and pop the heck out of yourself. I mean, if you don't get a welt, it's not going to work. And I, uh, I've had some people say that that's, that's a trigger for them, but that, uh, that little tool helped me quite a bit. Uh, book ending, you know, kind of letting people know when I'm going to be doing something that's dangerous or not, just kind of checking in, keeping it in the light. And then there, the tons of slogans, uh, this too shall pass, let go and let God are probably my two favorites. I still use them to this day. And then maintenance, uh, my favorite maintenance tool is actually my sponsor. And, uh, you know, I, I, people ask me, like, do you have a sponsor? And I said, that's irrelevant. Uh, the question is, do I use my sponsor? And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to realize that too. I, uh, relapsed after a great, you know, several years of sobriety. And it was because I, in, in about a three year period, I called my sponsor two, and a half, two times. 
And so I wasn't using the sponsor, but I used to tell people I have a sponsor and he's got a lot of sobriety. He's a great guy. Uh, but I never called, never used that tool. And so sometimes now I call my sponsor and say, I'd like to use the sponsorship tool. Are you available? And so, uh, that's how we discuss our, our relationship. You know, it's like, and, and sometimes I'll call him and he'll say, that's a great use of the sponsorship tool. So that's my, by far my favorite tool in the program. Uh, then in terms of prayers, I, I listed two prayers that are really helpful. One is number 15 in the, uh, 18 wheeler, overcoming lust and temptation. Uh, and that is, uh, may I find in you what I am seeking. And so, you know, I just, it's, I, I realize that what's happening is I recognize my God hunger. And the reason that that lust idea came to me is something else is going on. So God, may I find in you what I'm seeking. And then the third step prayer, relieve me from the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Uh, what's usually going on for me when I'm lusting is uh, there's there's some sort of self-obsession, self-worship going on, uh, self-centeredness. So, um, and then, I, and so last couple, uh, the other one was really big for me is listening to God or meditation. Uh, you know, my, my sponsor really helped me to see that my prayer life was 100% one way. You know, I'd throw words at God and then I'd get up and run. And he, you know, calls them walls of words. You know, I'd throw up these walls of words so I don't have to hear what's coming back. And then how can I build a relationship with a higher power that I never let speak? Uh, and so that listening to God and just being silent and allowing him to tell me uh, what, what's going on. And then finally, the most important lesson of all, uh, the most important tool of all for me is to remember that it's not about me. That it's about, you know, it's, I'm not here to, to rip recovery out of this program. I'm here to stay sober so that I can help you and others and be a, a better tool in my higher power's hands uh, as I go out in the world today. And when I can keep that focus in line, then uh, I have a much better, better experience. So thanks for letting me share. You uh, now have an opportunity to share with the group. Please focus on the topic of our meeting, Tools of Recovery. Like sharing in any essay meeting, please limit your sharing to the topic, avoiding explicit description or distracting comments, and focusing on the solution rather than the problem. Please do not share anything that legally would have to be rewarded to authorities. Please line up to our left so we don't have to wait for each person to come up. And please speak loudly enough for all to hear. We will move the microphone over there to that edge. And um, we'll start with two minutes. That would allow about 15, a little less than 15 people to share. Um, if uh, you drift over a little bit, uh, we'll tolerate a little bit, but not a lot. And try not to miss I'm not. I'm, I'm keeping my hand. I'm keeping my hands down at my ankles, so I don't have to worry about that. All right. Good morning, fellow brothers and sisters. My name is James B., and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. I would not be at this point in my sobriety if it weren't for the tools of recovery. And uh, I'd like to do kind of a brief synopsis of the tools I acquired and the order in which I did so. Uh, the first thing, um, as the first thing is, I went to my first meeting on January second, two thousand fourteen. Um, at my second meeting, I got my sponsor, which is in, in, has been a great tool for me um, in keeping me straight and narrow. And he actually has given me uh, guidance on how to be a better sponsor myself. Um, I've gleaned a lot of, uh, a lot of important and relevant, uh, coping skills, uh, from my sponsor. Next, I purchased the, the tools of the program, the literature. 
Um, I became basically when I got in there and knowing I had to change things, I needed to something to make everyone's um, experience that they shared with me more personal. And when I dove into the literature, then I could then I formed connections with those around me, which is very important. That was my first journey truly out of myself. And uh, and then uh, as I built my program, I got to the point where I where I started incorporating prayer into my into my daily routine, which I do about 35 minutes of praying every day and just stopping to listen. Um, I've also made it a point. I find uh, I find that if I have something that's bothering me and I and and it's still there after multiple surrenders, uh, sometimes I sit there and I just grab a pad of paper and I write it down. That way I can see, you know, what it is I'm saying to myself about the situation, and it keeps me from my attitude from becoming more jaded. Uh, keeps my perception clear rather than skewed. Uh, and one of the other benefits that I have is, I, is, is being a sponsor and, and, and being able to uh, listen and being able to be there for my fellows uh, has also helped keep me sober as well. And with that, I will pass. I'm Jim Sixaholic. Um, early on, tools. I started in, uh, my sobriety date is April 05. And when I, in 87, I stopped smoking and I went to this group and uh, they said, you, you're going to get this message. I need to, I need to smoke. You have to have an answer for that message. And I came up with a message, I want to be a non-smoker. It has to be a positive message, not I don't want to smoke, I don't want a cigarette. You know, it has to be, I want to be a non-smoker. And <clears throat> that got me through. That was the last day I had a cigarette. I had urges the first month of withdrawal kind of things. Well, when I came in to the program, I realized I needed to have a mantra, and I got to the mantra of, uh, I want to be sober. I want to be sober. And I don't know why in April or May they were reading the end of step 12, but their bullet points at the end, and I thought that was the end of the steps. It's just the end of that story. But bullet point number four is say you can, you know, get sobriety by you know, going to meetings, working the steps, or staying sober, going to meetings, working the steps. And you can keep it by staying sober, going to meetings, working steps, and you lose it if you don't stay sober, don't go to meetings, don't work the steps. I'm just a farm boy that went to the big city. That was simple, so that's what I was going to do. And, you know, you get all the things that have been mentioned by fellowship and all those uh, factors. And one other saying that I made a big difference, it came from another fellowship, but expectations are premeditated resentment. If I think, you know, I want my spouse or somebody, then, you know, I'm not, it's not going to happen. My side of the street. Thanks. Hi, I'm Jackie. I'm a sexaholic, and I'm a sexaholic from Holland. 
My sobriety date is uh, 4th of January 2010. Um, I love the recovery tools. There are a lot, and they're all helpful. And uh, as this uh, one gentleman uh, shared about um, using the phone, um, I don't have the luxury to use uh, the phone that much because I don't have many uh, many other women uh, to call. But um, there was one thing that I have uh, picked up uh, on a share uh, that uh, somebody said, and it was I call it the the prayer reflex. So any time that there's there's lust or I'm I'm disturbed or emotionally disturbed, I start praying immediately. You know, it doesn't matter which prayer. And uh, for me, the way that it works, if I say no in my head, no, 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 I don't want this, I don't want to look, I don't want to do this, um, all the energy goes to the no. I focus on the no, what I don't want to do. And when I use the prayer without knowing it, I focus my energy and thoughts on something else. And at the same time, I'm also connecting with my higher power, you know, and that's been uh, really, really helpful for me. And sometimes I'm in a situation that I don't even realize. I'm saying, oh my gosh, I'm already doing a prayer. Okay, that's great. Cool. Um, so, you know, that's that's been really, really helpful for me in those kind of situations. So thanks. Uh, good morning, Ed Sexholic. Uh, so I've been uh, in the program and sober since December of 2016. And uh, however, uh, with the clean sobriety, uh, the last seven months or so. And uh, so uh, the first year in this program, uh, although sober, I, I kind of skated on the uh, the surface of the frozen lake, you know, and um, I... Uh, I went through some of the motions. I was in the program. I had a sponsor that I didn't communicate with very much, but, uh, you know, I was working my step one and really, you know, trying to get it done. But, uh, uh, it was when the ice was cracking on that lake, uh, back in December, January that, uh, uh, I really, uh, had to take a little bit of a look at what I was doing in recovery and how I was, uh, working the program or really not working the program. And, uh, Ever since then, I've uh, I've uh, gotten into a really good place with myself and where I am in my sobriety. And uh, a couple of things that helped me get to where I am today uh, was uh, uh, one of them was we have a men's retreat in Southern California that I uh, went to, and uh, it was probably the most amazing thing for me is uh, being in this fellowship with all these other guys that. Uh, obviously all understand where, where I am and, uh, where, where I've been, where they've been and, and so many things that we had in common and, uh, just being out in, uh, in the mountains and the, uh, in the, uh, trees and stuff, just, you know, having time to really meditate and really think to myself. Um, and, uh, really the second part, which is part of that as well as the fellowship with all the guys, with all the people that I talk to. Um, I make my phone calls every single day. I take advice. I give advice. We are all in the same position. And, and uh, to me, that's really the biggest tool is making those phone calls and talking to everybody because that's where I really get the strength to continue in this program and continue my sobriety. Uh, that's that's where a lot of it comes from. So uh, thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Dustin S. from Louisville, Colorado. Um, there's so many things that work for me. I say 
everything works and nothing doesn't, so don't do nothing. It's probably one of the most helpful tools. Also, going to a meeting every day um, is exponentially more beneficial than showing up once a week for me. And also leaning into personal experience, you know, the things that I did in my life that weren't right, uh, I use that as uh, a tool of recovery because I knew that it wasn't right. So all I have to do is what was right. The next right thing is an incredible, important tool. Um, sponsorship for me has been an incredible tool. Um, once upon a time, I was a cabinet maker, and when I became... Uh, in a leadership role, um, I really didn't know what I was doing, but because I was the leader, I had to know. So if somebody came to me and said, well, what's the next step here? I'd say, well, let's figure this out. And, uh, and then after having a habit of doing that, all of a sudden, um, I, I was able to do that. And so sponsorship for me is that tool. Um, you know, the illusion is that it's incredibly helpful for others, but the reality is that it's incredibly helpful for me to be able to participate outside of myself and in someone else's life, which is incredibly recoverful. I don't know if that's a word, but I use it all the time now. Um, what else? I had so many things to say. This tool right here is really beneficial. The chairs, the lineup. Because you sit in that chair and your heart starts to pound. Uh, and then you sit in this chair and your mind goes blank. And then you sit in this chair and you go, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so that's really helpful. Sitting up here and, and looking at the, in this direction is really helpful for my recovery. So thank you. Yep. My name is Louise. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, so one of the main tools I use is vulnerability um, and um, vulnerability with other women. Um, I um, I connect with a lot of women um, that I'm, I also have an intimate connection with and a sort of a friendship with. And it, that has really nurtured me in a way that I feel a lot less vulnerable to lust, but I also get a lot of my emotional needs met that way, and I feel a lot less vulnerable. I don't feel like I need um, a man to meet my needs because, you know, my addiction, I turn to men to meet my emotional needs, and I don't feel that anymore when I'm around men. I don't feel like I I need them, and so the relationships with women have been really vital to me. Um, The other thing is rest. I use rest a lot as a tool because recovery takes a lot out of me, both mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I find that for prayer and for self-awareness, those two things are so vital to my sobriety. I have to be well-rested. And so that has been um, a big tool for me is rest. So vulnerability and rest. Thanks. I'm Ken G. I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> Thank you for your shares, especially talking about using a sponsor instead of just having a sponsor. I'd like to talk a little bit about a special situations. We have some great tools for everyday situations, but um, I had a sponsee who every summer would go to another state, and every summer he'd come back and he'd slipped. And uh, so before he went to another state, I says, you have to write out a sobriety plan. You're always, you know, going to have the same triggers. You're always going to be in the same places. You know now what's going to happen. When you're triggered, you can't think through it because your sponsor shares your brain and your your addict shares your brain. 
So right out of plan. And, and that summer he went out of state and he came back sober. And, and then I had a personal experience. Uh, I was going to Thailand with my wife. And we had, we were in a resort 10 minutes from Walking Street. I'm not going to explain Walking Street to you, but you can imagine. And I had eight hours of unaccounted for time. And so before I left, I signed up for Skype. And I could uh, do phone meetings from Thailand. I don't know why in the world to have a 1 o'clock in the morning phone meeting in New York City, but that happens to be 11 o'clock in the morning in Thailand. And my free, unaccounted for time was 11 o'clock to 7 o'clock. So every day I would get on Skype at 11 o'clock, and I'd go to a check-in meeting. You know, how are you doing with your higher power? Are you thinking about doing anything you shouldn't do? Have you done anything that you'd be embarrassed about? And so I had a plan before I went, and uh, my addict kept telling me, gee, you're never going to be back here again in your lifetime. You, know, you, you really don't want to miss this. And yet I had a plan, and I stayed sober. And uh, another thing for me is wedding receptions. I'm always triggered at wedding receptions. So I bookend. I plan for it. And I tell my sponsor I'm going to go. And uh, I tell my sponsor when I'm when when it's over and whether I've kept sober or not. And so just think about special situations and special things you can do for those special situations. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, tools are critical for my program and. Um, this is a program of action. I always need to be doing something. I'm either moving towards God or away from Him, and that's um, towards uh, sobriety or not. And um, so any tool I use needs to move me towards God and others. And um, a tool that's been very helpful for me um, has been a daily sobriety renewal that um, I've been doing every morning, um, well, without, well, a few exceptions, but for the most part, um, with uh, a person that is as committed to the process as I am. And we uh, open and close in prayer and have a format that we follow with a series of questions. And um, what it has done for me um, over the last three and a half years is um, keeps me from uh, hiding and keeping secrets. Those were the two things that I think were really eating at my program and allowing me to stay caught up in little subtle hints or sips of lust. And um, those are not sustainable in my program, obviously. So um, that has been a useful tool. And, um, yeah, I plan to continue doing it. Um, it works, and I don't plan to stop. Thanks. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve, and I'm a sexaholic from San Diego. And uh, a couple things have helped me out. One of them is... I've got long-time sobriety in AA, and I've been around this program for double digits. And uh, for the first time starting last fall, I started going on med- doing a meditation retreat. And I've never done meditation. I've read what you're supposed to do, and once in a while I go, mm, and I sit there, and I quiet, and I look at a f- candle or something. But I went on a retreat, and a guy did a meditation with an app. And I now do that every morning, every night, probably two to three times a day, really. And it's just an incredible app. And uh, people have noticed it. They said something is going on. There seems to be a difference in attitude and quietness. And I thought I would never do it. And it's almost I'm almost addicted to it. Before I start to get out of the house, I said, no, go sit back down, put that app on, and just listen to it. And, and so it's been a remarkable thing. 
And uh, the other thing is I do some prison work, and I got a sponsee in prison. And uh, in San Diego, we got four guys that are off in prison now, and one guy's just got a $3 million bail or $2.5 million bail on him, and so that severity of his stuff. But every three months, myself and two other guys drive up to uh, Long Beach, California, and we go to the prison that's in there at Long Beach, and it's actually in the sh- near the shipyards. And uh, when you go in there, and except for the grace of God, I could have been there. I mean, I can absolutely tell you that I could have been there. I did get arrested, but didn't get into the court system. And so I look at that, and I go in there, and I was talking to this gentleman the other day, and uh, I said, I hate to tell you this, but every time we come up here, your serenity and your peace and your acceptance of your program is incredible. And he wrote an article for SA Magazine a year or two ago, and I think a guy named Eric read it at the Texas Convention. And uh, and I said, I, I don't want to tell people you have to go to jail to get this peace, <laughs> but it is absolutely amazing to see that uh, peace and that serenity. But again, get involved with CFC. Write prisoners. Do something. It's really a great way to do it. Thanks. Uh, good morning, Doug. Grateful to be recovering sexaholic. Um, I'm just about four months in, so I feel like I'm not worthy of being here. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I am powerless, so here I sit. Um, I'm grateful to be here. Um, my, I'm a tool guy. You know, I, I work in digital marketing, and I've got all kinds of software tools that... Um, um, uh, are crucial. Um, but I think what I've learned recently is, is I have tools that are under my own roof. Um, to summarize that, my daughter's 19. She knows everything that's, um, I, I mean, I've given her my amends. Um, and, um, she was upset about something the other night and I was able to go hold her and she cried in my arms for the first time in 19 years. Um, what else do I need to stay sober? I, I, you know, my wife, I love her. Um, through a number of things, we missed the speakers last night, but we had an amazing dinner unpacking everything. And if I have intimacy, I'm blessed still that she's still here. Yes, she does have a love-hate relationship with me. Um, it's not, not all roses, but we had a beautiful evening of intimacy and unpacking the day yesterday. Um, right there under my own roof. Not that I don't love you guys and you guys aren't important, but I was so scattered for the first two to three months having coffee with church friends, um, with business associates, men. Um, but I was just so scattered trying to find that intimacy that I was, have been missing and is a big part of my sexual acting out. And it's right under me, under, underneath my own roof. So, um, just thought that was big for me and I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Uh, John, sexaholic, uh, sober since December 20th last year. And um, one tool I used in the last 24 hours was uh, I really just wasn't sure about coming to this convention. We had a family get-together up in Michigan, and I said I was going to go to Michigan. And um, I was literally, I mean, it was just this incredible divide in me about what to, what to do. And my sponsor suggested I come here. And, um, and I'm splitting time between Illinois and California. And I like, I like my sponsor. I like what he has to say. And uh, I like the direction he's given me. And, um, and I just had that unwillingness to follow the, follow his direction this time. And so I went to a 12 o'clock meeting up in Downers Grove, Illinois. And, 
and I knew right right away there were about ten of us or so in the room, and I looked right at a guy who had about he happened to have about um, twenty five years sober, and and I knew he was the guy I needed to talk to or get get some suggestion from him, and and he really encouraged me to come to this meeting. I just kind of knew the answer was going to come um, by going to that particular meeting, and because uh, it was like it was agonizing trying to decide between what to do what to do this weekend and uh and I don't know if that's normal if it's common um just to, to that resistance um the other thing is you know about once a year I need to raise my hand if somebody crosses a line in a meeting and I, I just in the last 24 hours somebody did say something that I found very triggering and I was too I, I didn't have the courage or wasn't ready to raise my hand so I just need to kind of make that amends right now that I that I didn't do what I really wanted to do and um and then specifics, you know, a just a topic topic meeting the other day it was really giving giving a specific idea for a topic meeting, and and it, the idea was the topic was moving. It just uh, and sure enough, most of the people in the room were able to talk about moving because how, how it can be stressful. And but uh, just so that's it. Thanks. David Sexaholic. Um, I uh, time myself. I um, have been sitting here using one of the tools that I I use habitually now, and I'd forgotten about it. Uh, I am blessed with really crappy vision, and so if I'm being disturbed by something outside me, all I have to do is this, and you're all this wonderful fuzz. And and I've used this in theme parks and in airports and. And at wedding receptions, somebody asked about, I mean, mentioned that. Um, and, and this was. Oh, I just took my glasses off. Thank you very much. I was reminded I didn't, we're doing this audio. Um, and, um, and what, uh, I, this was my introduction. It wasn't my first one, but it was the one that really, uh, made it concrete for me is my rule of 180 degrees. And that is, I just figure out exactly what I want to do in a situation and do the opposite, uh, and I'm fine. Uh, and it turns out, you know, we all know that the left side of our brain runs the right side of our body and vice versa. And this 180 thing is actually built into us. It's just using it as a natural and healthy part of me. And uh, over the years, what I came to realize is the more I have this pressure, for me, the biggest problem, as you might tell right this moment, is talking. Uh, the more pressure I have inside to say something, it means I'm trying to overcome some resistance in me that's saying, David, that's really stupid. Don't say it. And, and I want to crash through it. Well, when I was drunk on lust, of course, I didn't even know I was crashing through it. I just did it. Now sober, it's the rule of 180 kicks in and I just do the opposite. I have found that's been a wonderful uh, gift. Uh, I also, as many people have mentioned, I called my sponsor every morning at 7.30 uh, for years. It was very helpful. And one of the tools I learned in that was to ask him what he had just talked about with his sponsor 15 minutes before, because I was about to get it. And and if I uh, sort of had some warning as what was coming, that made uh, accepting it easier, too. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. I'm Todd Sexaholic. And uh, I, too, have a set of glasses. My eyes are getting worse and worse. Thank God. <laughs> uh, I uh, grew up at the beach. I'm from San Diego. Uh, 
And I'm a surfer, so I have to block out my times when I go. I go for a purpose. I go to the beach for a purpose. I go, and I come home when I'm done. And some people mention bookending, and I've often bookended between sessions. And um, But the biggest tool that I have in my life right now is daily sobriety renewals uh, with a fellow in the program. And... You know, some days I really love them. Most days I really love the sobriety renewals. Some days I just want to get them done as fast as possible. But on those days, I know in hindsight that uh, I get more out of those days, actually, uh, because there's something that I'm hiding. There's something that I'm burying. There's something that I'm not willing to look at. It only comes out afterwards, typically, or during the sobriety renewal. Um, it's interesting. I'm working with a guy in the program and he's not a sponsor. He's just, uh, he's not even my sponsorship chain, but he's a good fellow in the program. He lives two doors down from me. So I, I can't really get rid of him. <laughs> he bangs on my door when I hide out and I, I call him on his stuff too. Um, and I've, I'm the younger of two boys and I was, he's a little bit younger than me and he just feels like a, a younger brother, uh, a younger brother that I never had. And, um, it's interesting to see the way that we interact and we call each other on our stuff. And Hey, don't you think you should call your sponsor about this issue <laughs> kind of thing? And, uh, it, it's really cool to interact with this guy. It, it's, uh, um, we, we regularly call each other on our stuff and, uh, uh, it's, it's really cool to have somebody, um, in my life like that. And, and one thing I shared yesterday was allowing love in, you know, there's a lot of days that I just want to push this guy away, but there's more and more days now that I'm allowing that love to come in and allowing somebody else to who cares about me to show affection towards me. That intimacy between two men is very grateful for it. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. We are up on our time. We're supposed to end at 9.20. Uh, Amjad will share something, and then we'll do our closing. Uh, Amjad, sexaholic. Uh, first of all, I realized that I didn't uh, mention my sobriety date earlier. Uh, hopeless. Uh, I'm of the hopeless variety, and I've been miraculously sober since February 16, 2015. Uh, I just wanted to actually, I wanted to thank uh, the share earlier that reminded me about, I, I can't believe I didn't even have this on the list, uh, which is that practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity as intensive work with others. And, uh, you know, for me, that is, that's another thing that has really changed. When I, ended and I was talking about it's not about me that's really uh intense work and that actually for me uh as was previously shared uh extends beyond just my sponsees uh that's you know I I have a thing that I call stalking newcomers uh you know it's like I literally a newcomer come on the meeting I'll get their number and I'll say I'm warning you now I stalk newcomers and I uh and I just start hounding them I just call them I'm like how are you doing what's going on if somebody in the meeting shares that they're having a rough go, uh, or they're, you know, they're really struggling, it could be lost, could be something else. I get their number if I don't already have it and I start stalking them. And that to me is just a very, very helpful way of me getting out of myself. So I just wanted to end with that. It is time for us to conclude. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Please stand and we'll share in the third step prayer which is on the back of your schedules, or you may have it memorized. 
I would like to say in terms of tools, I use the third step prayer literally 24-7, and for the first 15 years it was critical uh, to my sobriety. So. Have a moment of silence for the addict who's still confused and can't figure out where to be in this room. First step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. It's a sword. It's a sword. It's a sword. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.